It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. Thank you so much for choosing to watch It Is Written. We are in the third part of a three-part series designed with purpose. Did you know that every cell starts out with long strands of deoxyribonucleic acid? Now, we more commonly call this huge molecule DNA. It is essential for life to exist as it serves as kind of a chemical paper on which the plans for all our proteins as well as much of the other information necessary for our bodies to exist. That information is divided into units called genes. And if that sounded confusing to you, here to help us sort it all out and help us understand it and its implications for our faith is Dr. Tim Standish. Dr. Standish, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I am excited to talk about genes. Yes, you know, Dr. Standish, we've had a number of times together. We've actually known each other for quite a while. We met uh, 20 years ago at Andrews University, where you were an associate professor of biology, and I was a student studying theology. And your career has taken you far and wide in many different places. You, Before coming to Andrews, you were an associate professor of biology at Union College there in Lincoln, Nebraska. You have a PhD in environmental biology and public policy, a master's of biology, and a bachelor's of science in zoology. And now you're the senior scientist at the Geoscience Research Institute. And that sounded really big and confusing. And so unraveling this confusion, before we unravel the DNA confusion, let's kind of unravel that confusion that I all talked about. What does all that mean? What is that? What do you do, Dr. Standish? You know, sometimes I don't think I know what I do, but, um, but I listen to my wife and then I know immediately. Yes, that's a good um, thing. Now, um, I work for the Geoscience Research Institute and this is an institute located in Southern California. We're interested in how the Bible and the information that's recorded in there and science interact with one another. Uh, most of the time they're in complete agreement. Sometimes there's some tension between the claims of science and the record of Scripture. And that's where we think, you know what, there's something interesting to find out there. And so you spent a lot of time researching, exploring these tensions, finding ways in which uh, these tensions can either be explained or actually maybe they're not even a tension or maybe this tension is actually a, a complementary and intentional tension. Somebody wanted to read more about the things that the Geoscience Research Institute is doing. If someone wanted to read maybe some of the research papers that you have written, where could they find that information? The best place to start would be at the Geoscience Research Institute website, which is just grisda.org. Very good. So, Dr. Stanish, we opened the show talking about 
DNA. So let's just begin very basically. What is DNA? Well, DNA is a molecule. So that means that it's, it's a structure that's made up of lots of atoms all joined together. Now, most molecules are very small relative to the scale of things that we, we deal with. You can't see molecules typically with the naked eye. But DNA has two really interesting properties, just, just on, a, on a global scale. First of all, it is really a big molecule. That doesn't mean that you can necessarily see it with your naked eye. Okay. But it is very, very long. Um, you have in, in pretty much all of your cells 46 chromosomes. And the DNA is, is a major component of those chromosomes. If you just took the DNA from those chromosomes, so that's all 46 of them, and stretched it out straight, it would be about six feet, a little over six feet, approximately two meters long. So my DNA, if I just sort of lined it up, all those bits of DNA inside my cells, would be about as tall as I am when I'm standing up. Well, so, and, and, and just to make sure I understand correctly, is it the DNA in all of your cells or the DNA in just one cell that is about two <laughs> meters long? That would be in one cell. And yes. we have lots of cells throughout our body. So you're talking, uh, if you took all the DNA that's inside of us, you're talking about something that's huge. Oh, yes. Um, you, you have something on the order of, a, of you know, approaching a trillion human cells in your body. And so, yeah, it's, there's a lot of DNA in there, at least in terms of length. Wow. So you're talking about almost two trillion meters of length in just one human body. This is a huge molecule so let's talk a little bit more about this DNA. So what, what does this DNA do for us? How is it information encoded in it? Let's talk, let's talk about this DNA. Yeah. The information is probably the most interesting thing about the DNA. I mean, the structure of DNA itself is very elegant and beautiful. Everybody's seen this structure. It's that sort of double helical twisting structure yes. that you see showing up when people want to talk about science kind of things. They frequently have a picture of... DNA in there. And finding that, um, uh, that structure was a very, very big deal. In 1953, James Watson and Francis Crick, um, along with a couple of other people, but they've been the big sort of movers and shakers uh, with this. They published a paper that got them this Nobel Prize in, in Nature. Interestingly enough, the paper itself is only about a page long, but it reported this double helical structure. And um, that's very, very important. In terms of recording the information or storing the information in there, you can think of the DNA language as being spelled out in just the same way that we spell out uh, words ourselves. Okay. Um, just like letters of the alphabet. Instead of using letters, it uses slightly different uh, flat molecules that are attached to the, the... So what sticks into the middle of that sort of twisted ladder structure, those are the, those are the parts of the molecule that contain the, 
the information. And each one of those is like a different letter. There are only four different letters in the DNA alphabet. Okay. So we, we, we frequently symbolize them as A, T, G, and C. And uh, I know when I first saw that, I thought, wow, how can you spell very much using only that many letters? <laughs> and so, so the key to DNA is that it encodes information, holds information. Now, and it's a very good molecule for doing that. Yes. Yeah. Now, why is it such a good molecule for doing that? And, and how, does the, how does it get the information? I mean, w how does it get that information? Okay. Um, let's, let's first talk just a little bit about why it's a really good molecule for storing information. First of all, it's very stable. So it doesn't uh, break very easily. It doesn't change very easily. It, it can be broken and it can be changed. But it's pretty, pretty amazing for such a huge molecule. And it, um, because it's so stable, it actually stays around for a long time. You can find DNA in samples of um, uh, bone, let's say, that's thousands of years old. Wow. Um, that's, so, so we've been able to actually retrieve, for example, DNA from mammoths um, that's obviously quite old. It's, it's, it's kind of a cool thing. It, it lets us find out stuff about the past and, and, and some information about those organisms uh, back then. So that's one of the great things about DNA. Another great thing about it is that it's double-stranded. So it has two, these two strands that are twisted around each other. If you want to, you can unzip those strands. Remember, they're held together by these molecules, parts of the molecule, I should say, that are sticking into the middle. Right. And those are not physically joined together. They're held together by forces. Um, and, uh, and those forces are pretty easily broken. So you can just sort of unzip the DNA. The great thing about that is that both strands actually contain 100% of the information. So you are asking, where does the information come from? What happens is, to make a new strand of DNA, you take an old strand of DNA, you unzip it, and you synthesize the opposite strand on each of those original strands, and you have a perfect copy. So that's another reason why it's a fabulous molecule for storing information, because it can be passed from... Um, mother cells to daughter cells as cells divide so you can you can easily it's it's easily copied and um and obviously then the big ultimate question is where did that information come from in the first place yes where did it come from and um uh, to answer that question it's probably worth looking at the kind of information that's actually stored in dna Yes. Now, I should give you a warning. Okay. We probably don't fully understand all of the information that's stored in DNA. Um, it seems that every few months something comes out that is absolutely jaw-dropping uh, when it comes to that. But um, let's talk about a gene.
All right. Because a gene, you can think of a gene as being something like a, um, maybe, a maybe a chapter in a book. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to use different analogies here because they're a little bit easier to understand. Sure. But don't be angry with me if I switch from one analogy to another no. analogy. We're trying to understand something that isn't exactly like this, but it's close. For sure. So um, if you've got a long strand of DNA from one of your chromosomes, there will be these genes in there, and they will be like, if the long strand is a, is a book, then a gene might be a chapter. Now, there are a lot of chapters in the book. Yes. It's a, it's a long book. Uh, just to put it in perspective, those letters that I mentioned that code the information, there are about three billion of them in the human genome. And you have two copies of the human genome in most of the cells of your body. So that's, that's it's, it's, it's a pretty, uh, th th there are a lot of letters in these chapters. This now, is, now this, I just want to make sure yeah. because, it, because we're talking some big things here. Mm -hmm. uh, six billion, did I hear the word right? Six billion total. You, three billion um, of these DNA letters in a complete copy of the human genome. You got one copy from your mother and you got another copy from your father. So that's why you have two copies in every cell in your body. Fabulous. Oh, and that is a really important thing, by the way. Yes. Because if you've got a, if, let's say there was a problem with, with one of the genes that your father gave you, you have a backup copy from your mother. So it's, it's a very um, clever, redundant and robust system. Yes. It's been thought through very well. Yes. Um, God, yeah. who created humans, and I believe ultimately put the, put the information into into the DNA for human beings, chose a really good material to encode that information into and a really good system for passing that down through the generations so that we can survive and, and thrive in the world that we live in. But anyway, getting back to genes. Yes. I'll tell you an embarrassing story about myself. When I was teaching at uh, the university we were both at, uh, one day, I stood up in front of my molecular genetics class and gave a truly brilliant lecture <laughs> on estimating the number of genes that are in the human genome. We're big, complicated creatures, so uh, you'd expect that there'd be a lot of information that would need to be encoded in our DNA, and, um, and there is. Uh, I used absolutely correct data and made what I think everybody would agree were very reasonable assumptions and demonstrated to my class that there are about 125,000 genes in, in, encoded into the DNA of a human being. But the next day the human genome was published. So it was, that was the first time it was fully sequenced and then it was published and I, of course, immediately grabbed my copy of Science, the journal Science, where it was, and I read, and I read, and I read, and I felt more and more foolish because there are not 125,000 genes in the human genome. There were only about 50,000 genes in the human genome. And yet my, my logic had been so good. 
Nobody really knew why there were so few genes. This was one of the big surprises. Now, since that time, the number of genes has actually gone down further. There are, you know, between 20 and 25,000 genes now, um, we think, in the human genome. How can this be? We make so many more proteins than there are genes in our body. Yes. As it turns out, genes are not what we thought they were. We thought that a gene was just the plan for one protein. So we thought there's one gene, one protein. But that's not the way it works. Okay. In reality, each gene can make multiple proteins. Now, some genes only do make one protein, but there are other genes that make a whole lot of them. Okay. And instead of being just sort of a simple string of information, the genes are more like little computer programs. And there's all kinds of input that comes in via various molecules that bind with the DNA and bind with each other and bind with other molecules, particularly RNA. Possibly they, they're... Well, there's... There's a whole lot of things, yes, that come together and a, and a decision is made about whether the gene is going to make a protein or whether it isn't going to do so. In addition to that, the genes um, uh, will be talking with, uh, basically with other genes and, 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 and that information is also being integrated. A gene might decide to make one version of a protein and at another time, because of other input, decide to make another version of that gene. And I can give you a specific example, if you'd like. Please. Yeah. There's, there's a gene called PITX2. Um, and we won't worry about what that, that stands for. But PITX2 has an interesting role in development. It um, helps to determine the shape of our face. Okay. Um, but it does some other things as well. Now, sometimes that gene needs to, or, uh, needs to make a protein that is embedded into a cell membrane. At other times, it needs to make a very similar protein that isn't embedded into a membrane. So it needs to make two kinds of proteins. Actually, it makes more than two kinds of proteins. How does it do that? Well, the gene itself has segments of information in it. Remember, they're, they're sort of all lined up on this long string of DNA. And you can take a segment. These are called exons. Um, you can take a segment from here and a segment from here and a segment from here and join those all together. And those are the information for, let's say, the version that floats around inside the cell. Yes. Whereas if you take you know, a slightly different combination of them, that's the one, that's the code then for the protein that sticks into the cell membrane. It sounds so, I know, technical yes. and fabulous. The point is, genes are much more fantastic than we thought they were. It, it, it's not just simple information. It's complex, integrated information. And I don't, I don't want to take too many leaps here, Dr. Standish, but if I hear what you're saying, we have DNA, 
And within that DNA, we have genes, and genes are the chapters of the book DNA. And those chapters, uh, instead of necessarily, those chapters are written, but then those chapters then help write other things, proteins. Yes, I, I'm actually mixing a metaphor here in okay. a little way. Yeah. I said they're, they're kind of like chapters, but they're also kind of like a computer program. Yes. Yeah. They're like a dynamic chapter. Okay. <laughs> they're like, a, and, and that's why they, they, they're, they're not just a passive kind of thing, like a book that doesn't change. They are interacting with the environment. They're taking information, they're integrating information, and then they're using that to make the right kind of protein. So it's like a little computer. And this little computer, what it sounds like as you're talking, is not something that could exist or function in partial pieces. It seems like doing things in bits and pieces would be a, an unlikely way of getting this kind of system. Because it's, it's not just a matter of getting one bit of information right. It's a matter of getting several kinds of, uh, several bits of information correct, but also the information about when to use that information and a whole mechanism for making that decision. And so it seems like once again, Dr. Standish, we are looking at something that points to a plan, that points to design. In our, in our normal experience, yes. we know that computer programs that are probably the closest analogy that we can make to genes at this particular point, we know where they come from. We've, we've got literally many thousands, probably millions of examples now of the source of this kind of information. It's engineers human beings. Computer programs don't come about by random number generators. Random number generators themselves don't come about by random number generators. Mm -hmm. yeah, these are engineered systems. And so where did the information come from? If I look at a computer, I say, oh, that information came from computer engineers, software engineers, and so on. Why would I come to a different conclusion about quite similar kinds of systems that we find inside the cells of every living thing that we know of? And so if I hear what you're saying, Dr. Standish, what you're saying is, is that as we look at DNA, as we look at genes, the possibility or probability that these genes just came together by random chance. Something unguided. Yeah. Something unguided. What is the probability that that's the case? In my opinion, it's zero. Um, now, you could probably figure out a probability using various assumptions, and I've seen people try to do this sort of thing. But that's not the way science really works. You know, science is about seeing patterns, things that occur repeatedly and saying, aha, that's the way things work. 
when we look at where information like the information that we see in genes comes from, when we look at that, we can see that with absolutely 100% um, you know, of the time, it comes from intelligent minds. It never comes from any other source. And so when we look at DNA, once again, we see a plan and a planner, a design and a designer. And so as we are kind of wrapping up here, Dr. Standish, let me just ask the question as straightforward as I can. Did God write the DNA into every cell in our body? I believe that that original information was written by God. Just as much as I believe, by the way, that God wrote the Ten Commandments in the tables of stone. It's, it's, there's no difference. He is the source, the ultimate source of that information. Now, it has been passed down through many generations, obviously. Yes. But I believe that the ultimate source of that information was God himself. And what a fascinating conclusion to this series designed with purpose to talk about DNA, the very building blocks of who we are, show us the actual fingerprints, so to speak, of God, that each of us was made with a purpose planned by the master planner, Jesus Christ himself. Dr. Standish, thank you so much. Would you be willing to pray for us as we end our program today? Yes. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you for all that you did, all that you planned so that living things can exist. I thank you that part of that plan was also a plan of salvation for each one of us. I thank you for coming down, dying on this earth so that we can be saved. And my prayer is that each of us will seek to know you as our creator and our redeemer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dr. Standish, how exciting it is to know that God's very fingerprints are on each and every one of our cells through our DNA. You know, today we want to offer our viewers the DVD, King of Creation. Tell us a little something about it. We've talked about really technical stuff, but sometimes it's great to just be still and know that God is God. King of Creation is beautiful cinematography, beautiful music, and beautiful selections from God's Word, all put together into what we call a devotional DVD. That is wonderful. Friend, if you would like to receive today's offer, here's the information you need. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. That's www.itiswrittencanada.ca. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at 
it is written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H7V4. Dr. Standish, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. My dear friend, thank you for watching. And if you want to learn more about our wonderful creator, join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.